the Sports Career Podcast, episode 342. How can football clubs generate new revenue streams? Hello, Sports Achiever, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports Crib Podcast. I'm your host, Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to provide you a special guest who's an expert in a particular sector in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest in pursuing a career in the football industry. I hope today's episode can support your sports career development, interests, and needs. Now, getting back to today's podcast, special guest is Julie Golzev Kazab. Julie is a sports industry professional where she specialises in sport and brand marketing, where she is the founder of Number One Sport Consulting, where she specialises in sport consulting and strategic advisory for clubs and sports federations relating to brand management, sport investments and financial advisory. For that reason, it's such a pleasure to have Julie as a podcast special guest on the show. And that's when today's episode, Julie will share her sports career journey and explain to you how the football industry can monetize effectively in a football club. Have a listen and enjoy. Julie, it's such a joy to have you on the podcast show. Please you share to listeners your sports career journey. When did it all start? Oh my boy, um, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure and an honor to be on the podcast. Uh, and thanks a lot for everybody who's listening and interested in my career and, and my achievements. Um, so I started when I was 13. I played basketball professionally, semi-professionally. So I played basketball for four or five years um, till I was 18, 19. And I wanted a new challenge and I wanted to be a professional dancer. So I applied for scholarships. I got one in Munich. And then I was uh, into my dance education for another three years. Uh, my further dance education happened in um, New York City in the States. So I went a year for um, some professional education, more professional, especially in hip hop, uh, jazz, modern dance. You know, it was a very commercial uh, dance education what I did. And then I was, when I was 21, I was mostly working already as a professional dance teacher and dancer, choreographing dance shows, um, starting my own dance agency already when I was 24. So, yes, I was a very young entrepreneur. We didn't know anything about startups. We just started projects. We were so into um, our passion, sports. So in, in a certain young age, you just you just go for it. You're not thinking about it. That's how I started. Before we talk about the football industry with the work you're doing, let's go back in time. I'm really curious here. Reflecting with regards to your basketball career and your dancing scholarship, when did things sort of open up that this is all part of the entertainment industry, that music, dance, sport are very similar with regards to it's all about entertainment. Did that come into play during those early 20s when you were that sort of entrepreneur mindset? whilst doing your dancing 
I have to I have to be really honest. Um, when you're going after your passion, you don't really think about the whole structure. You don't really see the big picture. You just understand that you're a part of an industry. And then you realize that there are some chances you can take, you know. Trust me, uh, to get a scholarship is not that easy. You're working like four or five uh, hours a day to get to improve yourself, to get better in your skills. It doesn't matter if it's basketball or dancing. I just experienced hard work pays off and um, that people appreciate that hard work and give you a chance, you know, an opportunity to take a lead, to take a project, you know. So it was baby steps. It was really working your way up, but you knew entertainment is fun. You're um, a part of a bigger team. I was always a part of a team. So I knew that the success comes if we were all good, you know, because you confronted with losing and winning. That later helped me with my first dance agency because I knew how to approach clients. I knew that I had to present myself. Like so all these, you know, dancing education, presenting yourself, you know, working hard, achieve something, failure also, you know, lose something, you're losing a game, you're losing or you're you broke your foot, you couldn't dance, you you missed a performance. Like all these things added up to an experience that helped me later in my professional business career. I'm gonna ask you that now. From that experience, how has it helped you now? Um I was always like um, when you when you started things like I did, you know, with all my past, um, people don't see you in the States or working for big clients. So they are, first you have a lot of no, you get a lot of no's and also no sayers like, no, you can't do this. You're too old. You're too this, you know, so you confronted a lot with these rejections and. I thank God of, for, for my educational background and also my family who was very supportive. I always believed in myself. I had a lot of, I had good self-esteem, self-confidence. And then on top of it, I was thinking like, I'm going to have nothing to lose. Just try it, you know? So I always had the mindset of try to do your best, see what you can achieve and always dream big. Like this was... I had so many idols, like Kobe Bryant was my idol when I played basketball, Michael Jordan when I played basketball, dancing it was Janet Jackson, you know, I had like these idols and I saw like how are they, I always tried to learn from people who were better than me because you're not always just uh, from the best, just you're, you suck, you're just like the last person in a row, you know, you're the last one who will play maybe 30 minutes, so you get your minutes later in basketball, you will stay then at the first row in that dancing, but you have to work for it to get there. So um, to come back to the question, I, in my professional career later, I understood that um, I have to work step by step to achieve certain goals. I'm going to jump in because I think that one thing I want to just jump on, because a lot of young listeners who are listening in will benefit what I'm about to say, because even when my early days, in my early 20s, it was really hard to accept the rejection. I know you mentioned it briefly, but may I ask how you looked at rejection from when you were younger to where you are now? So relating to my experience, when I look at rejection, I always think of like, okay, where can I get better for them to say yes now? But beforehand, I'll just give up because I thought my idea wasn't good enough. You know what I'm coming from? So I, or I took it too personally as well. I'd just love to hear your thoughts of how you look at rejection when you were younger to to where you are now from a rejection standpoint how you process it 
I think the topic of rejection is also, I think, a generational thing, to be honest, because that's why I have to smile. Because we, I grew up with hip hop culture, and in hip hop culture, you were always about, you know, self self confidence, bluffing, respect, you know, and we had a certain attitude. So most of the time, when I got rejected or no's, I didn't really take it serious, you know. I was just like, I was, it was going in and out at the same time. I was just so much like after my goals and my um, my dream, you know, chasing really my dream. So I didn't really like. It worked. I didn't acknowledge it. This is a rejection, you know. Later, now, now I acknowledge it more. I'm like, wow, I got rejected, you know. Oh, this door is closed, you know. And then I'm thinking, okay, this door is closed. It's still. I always see it as a, in a bigger picture. Like, okay, how can I go for the window, the roof, you know, the garden? So I'm always trying to get. Um, that's that's later what I learned, but also because I have a lot of mentors, you know, I always like to surround myself with people who are older, wiser, more ahead of me. I ask them, you know, and then they say it it, it takes time. Certain things will not happen immediately. It takes time. So um, even this one way is blocked. You have to see are they for or different other ways, you know, to get there. You know, that's what I really learned. Okay, so we've got to carry on with this now because. Without a doubt, when I got my first mentor, which is John Amici, when I was 22, it changed my whole perspective from my career development perspective of like, like you said earlier in this conversation, I enjoy learning from the best. For me, my mentor was John because of his guidance. Reflecting how have mentors supported you just for listeners who haven't had a mentor? Looking back throughout your career journey, how has mentors really supported you looking back? First of all, I think um, the, especially the same thing 20 years ago, the wording mentor was not that public, you know. So you had people who were seeing your, your talented, acknowledging it. You were not that self-confident you know, confident about your talent. You know that you're good in a way, but they saw you and they supported you. So they these type of mentors, they gave you advice. And they were I would say they were like undercover mentors. Like I didn't acknowledge them, you know, as mentors. But then later understood, okay, they act like mentors, you know, so probably they are, you know, but they were, um, and then you have some people in your friend circles. I think they are also my mentors um, where I, I learned so much from them. They, they give me, if they give me a feedback, it impacts my whole actions. You know, it's a 300, uh, 180 degree or sometimes 360 degree, you know, where I'm completely changing everything. Because it's so important that nowadays gives you someone a really honest feedback, you know. And later, when I studied sports management, when I was um, 24, you know, I also wanted to do something for my brain because I was so physical with all the sports. I wanted to study and do something for my brain. When I graduated sports management, it was my professor, Dr. Robert Niemann. He was so smart and I admired his work that I said to him, you have to be my mentor. I went to him and said, you need to be my mentor. Like, please, you know, I need this guidance. Like, you're just a woman in this whole male-dominated football field, you know, and it's business and you feel like a sheep sometimes. So you're like, uh, okay, you don't want to get get un- un- under. So, um, yes, that's important that then some people um support you and then also give you a chance yeah 
100%. Now let's paint the picture because I haven't even talked about it. You've given a hint with a sport management degree. Could you paint the picture from doing the sports management degree yeah. and how it's led to a, a career journey in the football industry? By, by the way, everybody, get ready because this is fascinating. So, Julie, just paint the picture for the listener. Okay. So um, when I started my dance agency, I was 24. I didn't know what I was getting into. So I was a young entrepreneur, had a, day, a dance agency. I approached clients like I had really good clients I worked for NBA Europe for Octagon I did champion Adidas you know great sports events and then I worked a lot in the automobile sector BMW Audi doing um, great sport events you know putting dances together then I worked for Bayern Munich for the basketball um, department Um, I worked in the club so I also have that club side so I didn't I would say unconsciously, you know, that you have to go somewhere, like you have a goal. Like my goal was always to get in touch with the NBA, you know. So I achieved it through the Bayern basketball department and then through Octagon, then later, you know, NBA Europe live tour or events, um, big, big basketball events. Um, they Then I achieved this goal with like I was a part of this NBA Europe thing, you know. This is ex- exactly how it, how my journey started through sports events. So with sport events, hospitality, I was working already a lot in the sports sector. I, I did everything. I was a um, host hostess. I was working in lounges, you know. I was a um, I was a volunteer, you know. So I did everything what you can do um, off the pitch you know, at an event. And then I started, I need something for my brain. I need to know more about this, what's going behind the scenes, you know, strategically marketing sales, you know. So I first started to um, study economics. Economics was so boring. It was like the first two years, I was so bored, you know, it was so heavy, the stuff, it's, it, it was nothing had to do with entertainment and, and sports, you know. Then a friend of mine who was studying sports management at Bayern Basketball, he said, Rich, this guy, amazing guy, he said, like, Julie, we have sports management, never heard about this, would be perfect for you. This is how I switched to sports management. And then I studied mostly four or five years working hard in the sector and sports business, doing a lot of apprenticeship and studying at um, on the side, you know, so it was a very practical study, what gave us the chance to be more involved in the sports industry as well. So then my advice for everyone is to study something where you also um, are very close to the practice. 100%. Sorry, I'm going to have to inject it because this is vital for the listeners. You've said some big brands already like Octagon, Bayern Munich. Before you did your sports management degree, how did that give you the foundation on the ground learning then learning the study from the strategic side because one of my best advice I had very early on was like Ed, the sports industry is an event industry, global event industry. It leads to a, the, uh, another event. Even with sponsorship deals, you do one deal, you're onto the next sort of activation. So, and it triggered that while you're talking. But reflecting all those volunteering experiences, all those like roles that you are not doing now, but how did it give you the foundation? on the groundwork in the event sector just reflecting and i hope the listeners are taking notes but i'd love to hear your thoughts now how crucial that those experiences were with all those big brands early on i think when you don't know anything voluntary work is the perfect start you know because you're just learning 
you know, in 1993, I was already a volunteer for the uh, for the Adidas Streetball Challenge. You know, I just wanted to be a part of it. I just worked four days just for a pair of sneakers and a T-shirt, you know. So, but that gave me so much knowledge. Like you get all these briefings, you know, you get like, like these printouts, you know, where they do the renderings of the course or they do they um, tell you the timetable of the event. So everything what you learn later at event management or you what you were you studying, it's already the practice. It's you're in there already and you're learning this. But then the challenge was later. The school was telling you, let's write a concept, an event concept, 10, 15 pages about an event. And you were like, how should I write this now? You know, I was always a part of the event, but I didn't know the academic side, you know, how to write these type of um, concepts. So that was a, the good thing was voluntary experience, you know, going into different um, events, small events, big events, conferences, um, trade shows, um, PR events, you know, for um, commercial brands, for sports brands, for conservative brands, you know. So um, it's you, you learn a lot. You work in, in a small team in ten with 10 people, 15 people, 50 people. Um, you do the, you know, what standby means, you know, you know, uh, that an event starts uh, at six in the morning or then goes till three in the night because this has an after party. There's a conference of nine hours. You see the, the blocks, the, the timetables, and then slowly when you're studying, you understand, ah, this means, you know, when you um, concept an event, you know, this is about... Um, monitoring this is about budgeting this is about the pr and selling the event you know so um these blocks you you learn them you know why you're doing it and and then later your mind understands it when you're studying it final thing how did it improve sort of like your soft skills because i have to say i was really quiet before i went on this podcast show but when i was in environments i always remember at sky sports i was so nervous but it was only when you're in these different environments you get out your comfort zone particularly with my communication skills. I'm really curious of how your soft skills develop during these different volunteer event experiences. I mean, first of all, you have to discipline you learn because you have to get be on time, get up early, be late. You, there's In Germany, they're very strict. So you just have a 30-minute break, an hour break. There's no smoking, no going, you know, no drinking allowed, you know, just a certain snack. I mean, I was not smoking, but I just want to say they have a lot of rules, no chewing gum, you know, have a certain dress code. So you learn discipline, you learn to be a part of a, something bigger, you know, you learn to be a part of something bigger means also that you learn responsibility. You take responsibility for the position that you have. Um, to be, for example, the, that position as a promoter was always to be more confident and outgoing. So you had to be going to people, talking to them, advising them or guiding them. So that uh, helped me a lot with my personality. You know, um, I was not hesitated to contact someone. I see something. I was always reacting. You know, like when someone was going on the wrong side, I was already like guiding him to go the other way. So. Um, that helped a lot with your soft skills. And then the other thing is teamwork. You are in a big group and you have a hierarchy, you have a supervisor, you have, the, you know, the, the chief above, you know, and you have to um, understand that these people, to trust them, to follow them. There's, there's a lot of soft skills you really learn on the job. I would recommend everyone voluntary work 
to do work in a club is the same thing. You know, when you work in a club, you have the president, you have a hierarchy, and then you know your responsibilities, and then you have to, as a successful team, you have to trust each other and also work very hard for it as a team. I hope people are taking notes. Could we now fill in the gaps now from a football industry standpoint, like paint that picture now, because this is really fascinating, but also this is where I've admired you from the mutual connections we have of your journey in the football industry. So just paint the picture. So you've got your mentor now in regards to your lecturer, paint the picture from a football industry standpoint. Okay. So my highest goal, for I was a basketball fanatic. So my highest goal was achieved, you know, I worked for the NBA. I was a part of this. Basketball was kind of in my past. I also worked for the Turkish um, Basketball Federation. So I needed to know, okay, what's going, what's happening now in football? You know, that was a big industry with a lot of money. And there's so many projects about football. Basketball was such a small sport comparison to football. So I needed to prepare myself. I wanted to be a part of that football industry, but I didn't know where to start it. So the mentors are super important because you have so many questions and then you need certain guidance. And I think the first most important thing career-wise was attending a lot of conferences. Every sport conferences, any sport conference in Europe I was attending. I just wanted to go there, listen to the panels, learn, find myself. After a couple of years, I tried to see where can I position myself, you know, I had the opportunity to work to work for a sports marketing agency um, who does the typical handling licensing right, marketing rights for the club, uh, media rights for the football clubs, clubs, or do you work for the federation? Then you go and check the job uh, vacancies, and then you see, oh, there's just a few jobs left. It was sorry to be honest, Ed, this was ten years ago. It was not even close how it is now. There were barely, when we were studying um, 10 years, 15 years ago, there were barely any apprenticeship, nothing, you know. It, the stagiaire thing was was um, barely happening in a club. There was um, just a couple brands. Everybody was applying for internship at Adidas, you know. There were just a couple brands where you were allowed, you know, to get a junior position. So the beginning, first of all, was very uh, tough, I would have to say. And then you, you're you not the only one. You mean you have just one job and then you have 50, 60 people applying for the job, you know. And even building references is so difficult. Like federations are not that open to have internships. Um, we, were, we were trying to do with a lot of voluntary work again, voluntary work again, like working for free, being like having the first reference letter, getting somewhere, you know, a position where we be involved in the bigger picture, you know, that was, to be honest, it was the beginnings of the years, you know? So, yeah, no, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I had like goosebumps when I got my first foot in the door in the industry and it was tough and that was 10 years ago. And I think, I hope people are listening in that there are more opportunities, but it means also if you're studying it, there's a lot more people studying sports. So the key thing is, which you've mentioned, I'm going to bring some of the coaching in. It's where do you want to position yourself? And I think I'm so glad you mentioned that. But 
what inspired you to then work in the football industry? That I'm curious on this point because I know you achieved your goal in the NBA. Why football? First of all, it's personal. I mean, my it's always first when you when you be when you're honest. First of all, you are you don't understand where where this this interest is coming. But when you reflect, you understand. Oh, you grow up with your brother. My brother's three years younger. Completely football fanatic. The same my dad. So it was in our household. You know we. I always grow up with football, but I was more like I wanted to do something. So I that's why the basketball thing happened for me first, you know, because football was something, okay, the males are watching it, the males are playing it, but there was also 20 years ago, barely any teams for, for females to play, you know, it, it all has an effect. It's how you grow up as a teenager, as a young adult. And then later I was still, you go somewhere, you're the only woman like now I have more females in my industry, but even 10 years ago, I was the only female in the room. There were only the hostess girls working at the conference and there was maybe two, three females attending of uh, 500 people, 500 attendances, maybe three women, you know? So it, it for me, I was brave. I was interested, curious. And then of course I had my legends, you know? I was a huge Bayern Munich fan, I grew up with um, Lothar Matthäus, you know, Oliver Kahn. These are like big, big, I mean, even the Turkish, the, the Turkish um, guys, um, even late, uh, earlier and later, it, did, it didn't matter if it was a Turkish football player were, um, playing for uh, Real Madrid or for FC Barcelona. I mean, this was a huge uh, thing happening in our household. You know, we were just like, every day watching football in the family. So where this really interest is coming from is definitely first of all from the family. That's why I think family work is super important, family influence. And then later it was, of course, um, to be honest, the money, you know, you want to make money. You just studied uh, and you go, you went to a private university. You want to make money and you're thinking like, where can I make this money? And you see the football industry. And of course it's super privileged to be in the sector, it's fun, it's entertaining, you're so close to your idols, you work with amazing people, it's a very cool industry, I have to say, you know, these people are, uh, when you work with other industry, you see there's a type, a certain type of people working there, you know, and in football, it's mostly team players, it's people who understand, have the same passion for football, for sports, they love, not, they would die for the sport, you know, so you have this is connecting you with these people, you know, so that's why this is what I, this passion and this dedication for sports and basketball, I found also in football. So I was very happy to see. And I saw all the layers of sports in football, youth academy development, scouting, you know, very professional way of, of um, marketing and sales, licensing. You know, I saw all layers of sports management in football. That was then also um, what drove me to football. Before we talk about today's podcast topic, I'm going to mention this. You know who I, how I, where I'm going with this in a second with regards to like, we had this on a WhatsApp call about, and I asked you this question, like, is the industry changing from the term that I hear quite a lot over the last eight years? And I hope it's a changing with, you said that phrase, you know, sports industry is still a male dominated industry. And I've had so many cool women professionals on here Jude, I would love your honest thoughts. Is the industry changing? Because this is something I'm always about equality. I'm always about integrity. 
And it's great that for me, it always sparks when I met Ebru Coxell at a women's football conference four years ago, and she was the only woman for on the board of Galatasaray. And I sat there going, this needs to change. This is like needs, there needs to be more diversity. And we're only talking four years ago, but from your experience, is there change? Because for me, I can't wait for the day when we say it's not male dominated. It's just people who are talented, experienced, passionate about the, the sports industry for a good reason. That's how I can't wait for that day. But I'm just curious of the the change or isn't there change? Like the, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth for me. I want to see, I want the listeners to learn that this is still a problem, but hopefully is going the right direction for positive change on this side of things. I mean, my whole life I was challenged. I was challenged by this is male dominated or this is a male sports. You know, I was wanted to play basketball was a male sports back then. There was no weed of the UNBA, you know, nothing on TV, you know, you didn't see any women playing basketball. So, um, of course, there are also some female-dominated um, industries, you know. But I believe in diversity. I think if someone wants to be a part of that industry, like, don't block these people because of their gender. You know, this is how I see the world. You know, don't block people because of their nationality. I just want equal chances. And I think diversity helps certain projects to get a different perspective. And um, it doesn't matter if it's a male, female, transsexual, I don't know, noon, I have no idea what's what's happening now in the generation, you know, how they see themselves. But I just want to tell everyone has needs a chance at least to be a part of a something what is impacting the society. Like sports has such a huge impact on society. You know, we need sports it's connecting people it's it's imagine you're playing with 11 different people from different nationalities you know it's you 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 never have the chance to do that you know so we need the diversity on the pitch and off the pitch so definitely there is change i see many more uh, females in my industry i see more support from the males you know they say like yes that's true we are we are not kind of sabotaging, but we were blocking on purpose because, of course, they feel more comfortable. Imagine 20, 30 guys, they are all together at, uh, at the board. They know each other from school, high school, whatever, college. And then, of course, when there's a good-looking female or, I don't know, it doesn't even has, it has anything to do with looks, but looks, yes, they matter. I have to say that. You have to take care of yourself. You need to present yourself. So I see this is important um, because everybody um, worked very hard at this is exactly the point. Everybody from these males, the men, worked very hard. They are so dedicated to be in this position. And then imagine... Someone comes, like a blonde girl comes, and then is like, ooh, it would be fun just to be a part of this. You know, maybe, let's see, you know, maybe I feel like this or not. For them, it's their life, you know. They they put, they sacrifice so much. They work 24-7 to, to, and take this responsibility, and they take this super dead serious. So my first advice is for females, you have to know, understand this mindset and also this dedication. 
if you're the same way and also so passionate about this, you will get your chances for sure. That's why I believe there is change. It will change, you know, but if, if, the, if everybody sees that you have the same mindset and education, otherwise they just think maybe it's a trend. They don't want to include people just as a quote, you know, just so you, you are there yet. Yeah? No, it's, it's not. Um, at the beginning of the, uh, my career, I knew that people were looking at me and probably thinking, when is she giving up? You know, when is the time uh, she will give up? And I was co straight communicating. I said, like, I'm here till I'm dead. Like, until I'm dying, I'm here. Like, the next 30 years, 40 years, I will be in this industry. Just, just be prepared, you know. And then people saw my dedication and understood, okay, she's willing to go very far. And the persistence and the consistency and then you get definitely your chances. Would you say it builds resilience and in time respect? Because I'll be honest, I've been in it for 10 years and I feel like I'm just starting, Julie, because all the last eight years, I've felt like I've built the resilience myself. But I'm just curious, has resilience been a trait that has supported you in your career development? I think in all of our careers, it will support us. I think our generation right now is doing a mistake being not resilient, like you said. It's just like you have to go for this. The dedication, the, the effort, the hard work. Sorry, guys, there is no time limit. Like they, you don't know if you your breakthrough will be in five years, 10 years, 20 years. What is the breakthrough? What is success? You know, let's define this. Like every, every small step can be a success or it's a breakthrough, you know. For me, it was a breakthrough that I got into certain circles, that I was sitting at the same table like other 60 guys you know that was for me my biggest successes you know so to represent women in my in my industry um you work with very conservative guys but also these guys are so dedicated they take this so serious so you have to understand this mindset so mindset definitely it helps you in every way and never give up there's i mean we are always learning it's cons consistent learning 100%. And I want to now talk about today's podcast topic, because for me, this is where I, I, you know, learning from you on Instagram, and also our conversations on WhatsApp with regards to like, how a football club is run. One thing we want to I want to talk about is like how football clubs, particularly now it's been a good cycle after the pandemic, can create new revenue streams. Like I want to just like, go deep here, because I know that you're passionate about this. So relating to your experience work with the different football clubs, like where do you see like new revenue streams in modern football now in actually the men's and women's game? Because some of these are applicable. So I'm just curious with regards to this podcast topic on that. Let's separate men's and women's game, you know, because that's the first thing. Don't let don't put everything in, in one part because one men's game from from the marketing and sales perspective, it's um, very advanced. It's at their maximum already and women's game and the commercialization of that it's evolving it's in the process okay so let's separate first of all these these two um and then um different countries are more professional and commercial and other countries don't have these type of structures so this is also super important to know so 
when we look at the Premier League, when we look at La Liga, when we look at the Bundesliga, we see certain structures of commercialization. And in other leagues, we still have the, the federation mentality, I would say, where we just, there's like, that's more like donations, charity work, and then club um, mentality, where it was like commercialization, professional structures, where it's about sponsorships, licensing rights. It's a whole different structure. So for me, it's and my advice to everyone to look in the industry and the different countries and leagues. And then first of all, be aware of what's the current situation and structures there. That's the, that's the first step. That's analyzing. So what we learned in, in our um, sports management um, studies, it's first of all, analyze the situation. So now I'm working as a sport consultant. And when I do a sport consultancy, it's also super new for, for clubs, um, Ed, because um, you're used to, uh, in different industries, we are used to consultants. They're advisory of consultants, you know. They're professional experts coming in. They give advisory. And then you they are there to help you restructure things, to commercialize things. So football clubs in certain leagues are used to it. They, are, they work already with big um, sport marketing agencies where they sold their rights to, like, like agencies like Sport5, IMG, Octagon, Infront. You know, these, these leagues and clubs, they're used to it, you know, to have that professional and um, support, you know, of advisors and um, experts. But then certain leagues and federations, they don't have that at all. Like, they don't even know how to... Um, take advice, how to, they see if you give a feedback about um, an anal, uh, an, when you analyze something, you give a feedback, they don't even accept that. They see this is a, a fault, like going public. They have, they have a different approach uh, to consultancy, advisory and analyzing, you know? So it's super important for, for clubs to um to be open for to consultancy and to structure things. That's the first thing. What was the second part of your question? Go about the splits. I'm so glad you said that right from the get go. We've got the men's game with the women's and you're so spot on. You can't treat them the same. I think where I was coming from is like using the different methods that can elevate maybe the women's game or maintain because you're right. Like if we go to English men's Premier League football, it's such as its pinnacle if you compare it to women's European football, it's down here. I wish you could see my hands, everybody, but one's higher than the other. I'm just curious from a methodology. Let's say we're like the men's team or let's say Barcelona Football Club, they introduce like the NFTs and the fan coins. I'm just curious, do you think that's going to influence new monetization through memberships? Because a lot of teams now are now implement implementing subscriptions through their fans. I'm just curious from your experience of working with different clubs of new ways of generating revenue, if it's the men's or women's teams, I'm just, that's where I'm curious. Or do you think it will stay the same method, but it's just how those deals are done with trust with those brands over time. This is more sponsorship, by the way. I'm just curious that side of things. I would like, first of all, before we have to um, highlight another thing again, when we talk about Barcelona or other very uh, professional um, clubs who have a very long heritage, you know, first of all, they are brands. Yeah. So 
it's it's a privilege to work with these clubs um because they are have a huge fan base a massive fan base very professional structures it's like already the highest form in sports marketing what you can do it's already the top of the top but when and then we have so many clubs who are way lower they don't even get stadiums they don't even have the audience the supporters so please i just want to separate again like there's like the it's it's super important because whatever i will say it's not for every club meant to be it's there's some certain clubs are on a certain level where they still have to first of all make sure they have the youth academy they have their base of fan supporters they have a full stadium they have the professional structures then they can do this monetization and commercialization, what I will talk about the other clubs. So certain clubs have reached that level already and they're already on the highest level you know, of commercialization. And the other ones, they're just getting there. Okay? So when we talk, we, have to, we will talk about the brands, like um, football club brands, who are already at the top level and there we have so many opportunities because they are already a very global brand and they have structures where they can reach their fan in Asia, in Africa, in Europe, in Latin America. You know, they have um, with one click, you can you can sh ship a, a jersey to them. With one click, they can buy tickets and attend a game. You know, this is super professional, highest uh, structures in a football club that we will now talk about. I'm going to dig deep on this point. Yeah, okay. yeah we'll do. I'm going to dig on one yes. deep point. So you're saying as well that for these smaller clubs who haven't built their brand reputation, their priority should be to connect as much as they can with their community as much as possible to then bring the fans, bring the new business of local businesses first involved. So then when they've got that establishment loyalty within their fans, that builds the heritage over time then they'll go into the pathway of these top clubs like your Barcelona's, Bayern Munich, who have just got this reputation over many, many, many years. And you're saying build the loyalty first with your community, then later on scale from a monetization. Do you want to add anything from what I've just said? Exactly, exactly. Um, first of all, not everybody will be a top brand and leader. This is also another thing. We cannot have... Um... 350 uh, leading football clubs. I don't believe in that. You know, we will just have a handful of leading football clubs. Maybe we have, I mean, we have already 50 good brands uh, all over the world in, as football clubs who are good brands. But it's it cannot be too much. You cannot go higher, you know, because of so many factors. So for I think the base work is super important. A lot of football clubs, they want to jump into the second league or the first league. They just want to go in Super League, you know. Yes, you want to jump there, but there's a lack of community, of youth, like talents coming coming in. I mean, you need the mothers the, the, who bring their kids to practice. You need the, the bambinos, you know, to attend this, the football schools, you know. You need your new aud audience who will then later go to the games. You know, you need the families to watch the football games. Super important. The stadiums must be family friendly. There must, they cannot be there. 
racism has no no place in in the football stadium on the pitch off the pitch the same with violence on the pitch off the pitch has no room so as a club you have to make sure that you um first of all have these structures the right um values the right um settings you know so it is first of all the groundwork and then building your community if you don't have that heritage you know if you're not a hundred year old um football club if you're a new football club or if you're a hundred year old football club who's losing fans yeah, there's always a reason people are not committed to the club anymore they feel like disconnected so try to reconnect you know so first of all it's really the groundwork um at like football clubs have to go back to the groundwork to get their 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 the next generation involved the older generation involved have the diversity in their clubs you know open door policy for everyone this is i think this is the future um It doesn't matter if you're a refugee. If it doesn't matter if you just moved to the city. It doesn't matter if you're just born in that city. It must have an open door policy, first of all. And then it must be super diverse. It doesn't matter if it's it's a it's a young boy, a young girl, uh, a teenager, a teenage boy, teenage girl. It must be a place where everybody meets, like mothers meet, the uncle, the aunts, the grandpas, you know. This type of diversity, I also want to see in the club structures and in the club um, culture. You know, we were at at a certain point, um, clubs were so focused on just like scouting talents, picking talents, transferring talents from other places. You lose, and then right now, when you see it, clubs you have barely look at Bayern Munich right now. I mean, it's, it's the best example. How many Bavarian players do I still have there? You know, certain clubs reach a certain level of of um, popularity and, and brand value, I would say. You know, they need to be very international. It's a different strategy then for the club, you know. So first you need your club, um, uh, club culture slash loyalty where you are recruiting talents from your area you know, from your heritage slash region. But then if you want to be become a global football brand, you need to, you know, recruit players internationally. So there must be an Asian player, there must be an African player, there must be a Latin American player. So you are more than into um, being so diverse and international. So the fans all over the world, Uh, emotionally connect to you. It, let's do a real example. Harry Kane going to Bayern Munich. Like now, English fans have got an interest in the Bundesliga, not just Bayern Munich, but like even me, I'm curious. And it you, just one player from the UK going, you know, across the pond and to play in Europe, that's where you're drawing eyeballs. So we've talked about like teams who need to build loyalty. Let's go the other route. Let's talk about your Barcelona's, your Bayern Munich's who have got the heritage From your experience, how do you see evolve like clubs evolving so they can think out this box with regards to monetization? You know, they can't always rely on fans and ticket sales. Where do you see change? Like this could be a topic in itself, but do you think Web three is going to have an influence of building communities through technology? I'm I'm curious. Like I'm I'm just this is such an open conversation. There's no right or wrong. I'm just curious of your thoughts 
of how the football industry will develop from a club standpoint from revenue streams? We we see already with big international um, football clubs, like you mentioned, Barcelona or Bayern Munich, um, they're using, they try to prof be professional in every department, in every structure, setting. And first of all, a global football community, like a global football fan community. So this only goes through technology and digital approach. Okay. So you've reached already your maximum regionally. You reach already your maximum. Uh, your country is probably, I mean, we, we can look at, at Germany. People support Bayern Munich or they support mostly um, Borussia Dortmund. And so country-wise, you also reached your, your maximum. And now you're going for your league and then you're going international. And international competitions help, first of all, to fruit the TV rights, you know, that you get seen. And then you have the video on demand and all these OTT platforms where you can like reach any game you want to see from any league, from any football team over your smartphone. You know, you don't even need the TV anymore. So you just press the button on your phone and then you watch the, your favorite player. This is super important. So tech is super important to improve structures, to reach global fan, a global fan community, and then also to reach a different type of generation. This is the most important thing. So trust me, a 10-year-old, even a 5-year-old is, is growing up with a smartphone. Um, they are using certain social media channels, you know, to communicate. They're not even using WhatsApp to communicate. So um, you need to be on a lot of different social media channels to approach different fan um, groups, you know. And then trust me, uh, as, is the age group also like a male a fan is uh, consuming football different than a female fan, you know, and then um, nationalities the same. Certain nationalities are super social media affine, you know, we say. They are constantly on social media. They are tweeting a lot. They are posting a lot. And some some cultures are not that social media crazy, you know. So analyze your fan group super important no of course every club wants to be the biggest brand in the world and wants to have i don't know one billion followers you know they are they are really growing fast but the thing is besides growing fast and reaching the fan it's how do you do, how do you connect this fan emotionally to you how do you make this fan spend money you know so what can you do you can travel but not everybody, not every fan can travel because of visa restrictions and issues. So how can you, you know, how can this fan engage with you? Clicking something, liking something is sort sorry, nowadays not really engagement anymore. In football, we still don't use exclusive content in, um, enough, you know. We use exclusive content, but not, I think, enough. There's much more potential. And web free, yes, it's a good thing. Web3 is the future. We will, nobody knows what the blockchain is, by the way. I mean, you and I maybe know, you know, but um, I know most of the fans don't even know what an NFT means, what a collectible, a digital collectible is, what a blockchain means, what is, what's the data bank, what is, 
is restored uh, in the in the in the space you know where's my my data going you know what what is hacking you know what what is a wallet you know so there first of all there's a need there needs a lot of explanation to different um, fan uh, groups and also to understand the fan and you're sitting somewhere in South Asia you want to be a part of this how can you be a part of this fan club so we need more digital fan memberships we need more digital fan engagements you know still the clubs are more doing local stuff but digital is the, definitely the future and digital is the only way to globally connect with every fan on the on in the world point so let's draw this in because that's a great answer but let's draw it in on one more element because i've actually read a data book today and i was shocked of like and it's related to football i will send you the name of the book afterwards but the best thing i've heard is that clubs need to make sure that fans on social media turn into supporters in their crm like email lists then segmenting them like i didn't realize that if you gather the data of your true fan and then you segment them so let's say one i don't know watches english football and the other one enjoys watching like the under 21s at the same club you can do different offers and i saw a quote in the book that 91 percent were more likely to buy the offer because they, it was segmented to that particular audience of their own fan group then just sending it to the whole of the fans through one email. So I'm just curious when you've worked with fans, like why it's important that I hope you're taking notes, the listeners, why data is so important, like understanding your audience from a, I'm going to keep it simple. Let's say email newsletter as the data, because you're communicating them by email. How have you, when you've worked with clubs, like understanding how a club can use data to make better decisions with connecting with fans and creating really cool offers with big games, let's say a derby like Bruce Dortmund, Bayern Munich, like you can get very creative. Sorry, I, I think that's an important point because it's technology, but it's also how you use data effectively at a club with your fans. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. First of all, we, we of course, we want to um, protect data and privacy. But first of all, the fan wants to communicate and be engaged with the club. So the fan is okay to give out the data. So if it's my email address or my phone number, so you can reach me over WhatsApp. We have to think very digital, you know, like the fan wants to, how many times do I buy a jersey? First of all, not that much. I maybe buy it once a year, but maybe there's a digital fan item I would like to pro like buy, you know, there is no way for me right now to buy it. You know, there's so like these collectibles, NFTs, you know, we don't, the clubs are not really using that. That's the first thing. Like there's so many items like in merchandise and licensing, what we, we, what we can use for fans to engage, you know, and also feel like a part of it. I said digital fan clubs. Why did I say digital fan clubs? I'm a passive fan. I'm sitting somewhere in Asia. I want to feel that I'm a Bayern Munich member, for example. I just pay 100 euros and then I'm a digital um, fan, you know, a digital member of the club. It's great. I will tell my friends I have this digital member card. I'm a I'm a I'm a fan member, whatever, you know. So this is the that's that's the that's the thing. I care as a fan. I wanna be a part of my club. I want that my support is acknowledged and seen somewhere, you know. So this can only happen digital. And the other thing is uh 
in others in other industries it's completely normal i mean we'll look about what's booking doing to us or other you know applications there i mean you're completely like you have your credit card number there my birthday my address you know where i travel all the time they're collecting all my data so but this is voluntary sharing so if the fan voluntarily wants first of all you have to ask me first you have to offer me something where i want voluntarily share this so there's a mutual interest i want to be a part of this and you want me to be a part of this so there's nothing wrong collecting data of our fans you know i think the clubs have to be much more open to this a lot of fans would love to be a part of um, the club more and also there's so much what the club still can give the fan imagine there's so many exclusive stuff what you can give the fan a signed jersey and access to a, um, a tour on the pitch you know um after parties after meetings meet and greets um, exclusive tickets, hospitality tickets, digital stuff, you know, uh, a personal video call with your with your favorite player, a personal um, birthday shout out, a hologram and a personal personalized customized um, personalized uh, um, we had these uh, these avatars, you know, of certain players. Yes, we so um, in these design studios, you know, who work with NFTs, avatars, etc. We saw so many great uh, fan engagement uh, tools, you know, but the clubs are still not really open to this. They're still not ready. They are still thinking, hmm, do the fan wants this? Um, is there is not really a demand now? But I say, like, you have first of all have to offer to see if there's a demand. And this, like the costs of producing this are so low. And we even have sponsors who are creatives, who are like brands who say like, I sponsor this. Just just let us like try this, you know? So I think clubs to blockchain, web free and NFTs, collectibles, they have to be much more open. So many other um, AI uh, tools what are coming up, they have to be much more open to this. Uh, when it When we talk about fan engagement and and um uh connecting fans you know to the club 100 look i hope people are taking notes because i knew this would be a juicy conversation this part of the podcast but one thing i want to touch on it relates to a good dear friend of ours with regards to zayjan like we've talked about the business side but i love to you know promote the purple jersey because i, I i'm a firm believer this has been the base best case study on my podcast how football can be a tool for real good change so just to paint the picture for you, the listener, uh, Zayjan, who created this purple jersey to raise awareness for no violence against women. And it really was so positive to see, like, the, the football club actually wore it as their third kit. I'd just love to hear, I know you're good friends with Zayjan, Julie, but from that initiative, how important is it to have clubs that they don't just think about the, you know, the business side of a club, they use their identity as a way of, creating real positive change from a society standpoint like that example with the purple jersey i think the club has to first of all um sports and a football club represent very important values for uh, in our society and um for our community for the youth they need to be more role models 
when we see, unfortunately, um, our rights getting violated or we experience too much uh, discrimination, it was very brave for Samsung Sport to go with the purple jersey for Sejan to run this campaign um, in a time where nobody was that brave to stand up for these crimes against women. They were in increasing so fast and nobody wanted to highlight this this issue and this um, serious problems, you know, and and um, also have not just like get, giving a, a jersey out, it was also highlighting it for a whole year. You know, it was not just one shot, just um, having this out and then you forget about it in a couple of months. No, it was a campaign circulating through the whole country through the media and with so many small and big um, events, you know, and touching so many people's lives and be a role model to um, tell people to be brave, to stand, you know, um, together for, um, for the right things, you know. So I think it's not political messages. I think it's society messages, you know. We need this nowadays. Like, when we experience huge racism issues in stadiums, violence issues, why the, the club can, you know, has the power to say, okay, one year we're doing these campaigns, you know, we are for uh, gender equality. So let's do this campaign. I think clubs have so much potential. Um, some of them don't really take the responsibility but some of them, especially now in Germany, what I saw the, over the last years, they are, it doesn't matter if it's by a, by an, um, Borussia Dortmund, for example, or by a Leverkusen, by a Munich, they were running um, racism, anti-racism campaigns for a whole year, gender equality um, campaigns for a whole year. This was something very fresh and new to see. And we needed it, you know, as fans. We wanted to see okay, something is going very wrong still in 2023, you know, we should be on a different level, but it's still these huge issues, let's ad address them, let's stand together, you know, and um, I mean, this this is our responsibility, to be honest, in, in every, from everyone, it's my responsibility to buy the jersey, it's also my responsibility to wear, wear the jersey, it's my um, responsibility to post it, to comment on it you know it's we always we all have to fight together for the right reasons understand and that relates to like human society not just football fans the thing that i want to mention from it everybody that what what makes this uh case study so powerful is the money they raised was raising funds for self-defense classes that women were taught first and then the women would teach other women with self-defense classes so it just had a positive cycle of like not just self-defense but also like providing that security that they are safe in environments wherever in the world so that's why i wanted to bring that up but finally before we conclude there's one element i have to talk about because even when i spoke to zayshan i said before we even spoke julie i said to zayshan i was like julie's a great network i can tell through all the social media points following your stories and i want to bring this with you because you are a fantastic connector, but I just want the listeners to learn why networking is important, 
but also why connecting others with like-minded values is important too. And I'd love to hear your story about how networking supported your career, but why it's important in the industry as well. I mean, not everybody has good intentions when connecting people. I think it's important to have the right intentions. And um, I think networking, yes, it's super important. But what are your intentions behind this? So important, you know. So it's not just introducing A and B. It's also um, introducing the right people who have the right goals and who want to do the right things together. And same-minded people with same values, you know. So um, introducing yourself is networking. So I cannot know. I cannot know in front of me, you know, what is in front of me. Like, what is this person all about? Is this person is not introducing themselves correctly, you know? So don't be shy. Just networking is super important. It's the way, first of all, to introduce myself, and then share. Um, through over communication, what my beliefs are, how I see the world, you know, how I think about football, for example, um, what I have in mind, what my vision is. So the other person will reflect this and be like, hmm, do we have something in common or not? You know, and then you connect with people and then you share. Not everybody shares with you their projects. So it's the first thing is the, the the talk, the vibe. We always talk about vibes, you know, good energy. So if you have good intentions, if you're a good person, good-hearted person, it's super easy to connect with people because people see that you have good intentions. And then when you're, as long as long as you stay in the industry, people see your work. They see where you voluntarily work. I mean, I work for the Turkish um, Trainer Association at advisory. First, I started. I was volunteering for six years and I'm still volunteering. So I didn't, I don't receive any money. So this is super important to know, you know, I do so much advisory stuff for free. Some of them is paid, but some, most of it is free at the beginning because you're getting into an industry where you also need the support of others. So networking means, first of all, connecting, of course, with the right people, but also supporting the right people, doing stuff for free, I'm introducing people for free, not getting anything in return, you know. But trust me, um, everything will happen for a reason. And you will make, if you stay in the industry, it all works out at the end of the day. If you have good intentions, you will, people, you have a good reputation. People will say like great stuff about you. You know, I worked with her. It was fun. It was very professional. She's super dedicated. Like, and then, of course, you will also have some haters. I'm sorry to, you know, put this in. There will also, people will talk shit about you, bad about you. But this, it's always the same in every industry. So when people get to know you and they work with you and they have a chat with you, they know if the rumor is right or not, you know. And they can make their own mind about you. So networking, first of all, is not only happening online. I'm sorry, guys. The generation online sorry it's personal networking is about constantly reminding people that you're there and that your project is there um constantly also caring about people guys it's do you know how many times i i write people um happy birthday congratulations on this i'm in the city let's meet for coffee do you want to have lunch i have this project you have no idea about but this would be perfect for you so I do, I give a lot, 
you know. So if you give a lot. Can I do a real example? Can I give one example? Your foot. You know, when you broke your foot, I was like, forget about the podcast, recover. And I sorry to butt in, but Julie is so, so right just then. Like, if you've got to take notes of networking, it's beyond the work. It's be, it's actually being human and being down to earth. And I just remember one just sparked with like your foot. And I was like, recover. Don't panic. Like we'll do the podcast when it works with your diary and we're doing it now. But sorry to interrupt, but I think this is a really important point from the care side of things. Carry on. I care a lot about people, but also then I, when I broke my foot, I saw that people will care about me as well. And they helped me, you know, so they didn't cancel my my panel what I was was supposed to have in Istanbul. They they I was still you know um friends flew flew from other countries to be on my side. They were um traveling with me in my wheelchair, you know, helping me to get into the location. The organizers were super supportive, so trust me, it all comes back. So, um, I can just first of all, people need to be healed. If you have anything in your heart or with your past like you have to be in peace you have to be healed you have to um trust you know you can trust the universe energy if you don't believe in god it's fine you know but trust in this if you give out good things good things will return this is for sure and um trust me all the voluntary work means you helping other peoples and you don't only get a thank you appreciation in return sometimes this is the best trust me if I can inspire other females to take a seat at a table where there's only guys, older guys. Mostly they are 60, 75, 80 you know, years old. Um, and I'm the new generation. They allow me to be around them. That's for me already a sign and a future blink, you know. There is hope, you know. If it's me, hopefully in a couple of years, it's maybe two of us and then maybe it's then four of us and maybe then we have different departments but are run more equally. You know, this is always giving me hope. I have hope in the future. I wish that we stay more connected personally, that, that we appreciate um, and value each other's time, that we... Um, I love digital, I love tech, you know, it's it's great that we, I mean, you sit in England, I sit right now in Germany, and we have this talk, it's great that listeners all over the world can then um, listen to this recording, you know, but it's different when you can feel my energy, <laughs> guys, you know, if you see me smile, if you can have a coffee, a deeper talk with me, and then we also share the same passion about football, and then we we brainstorm what we can do together and i believe in the power of teamwork i have seen so many things we were building from ground zero like nobody thought we will make it nobody will thought that we will ever have will have success and we did but we believed in each other we stick to each other we were so committed we we stand behind our words it doesn't matter if it's in a, in a year or if it's in 6 years but we will make things happen absolutely i hope people enjoy this conversation as much as i am julie out of interest now like what have you enjoyed the most from your sports career journey looking back right now experience the, the most thing what i experienced is working with so many different cultures personalities globally being connected to 
great people. I don't know how you guys feel, but you know, you are in high school or and then you may be in, in university or your the workplace. And then it's kind of difficult to find friends, you know, like people you really connect with. So imagine this is the perfect opportunity to connect. This is like the big, the biggest and the best thing is to connect with so many great people all over the globe, you know. And then it's we are super privileged. I'm sorry, you know, to say this. But I mean, when we get to talk to legends, to football players who are so popular to I mean, we're not just taking, you know, pictures. We are also on the pitch. We, we are able to visit the training ground. We have chats with them, you know. I mean, I just I just I want to share a little highlight. For example, I was saying, um, so Campbell is one of my friends, I can say. You know, it's a great thing to call, my, call him now my friend since two, three years. And um, we have been traveling together and I invited him to Turkey and then I took him to the Besiktas training ground. And then Dele was um, there, you know, his first year. And that was before his, um, I think, YouTube um, podcast um, documentary came out. I had no clue about his past, but He was so kind. He was so cool. We had a personal chat, you know, after the practice. And then when I saw his documentary, I was like, wow, this guy went through such a traumatic childhood and, and past. This, you couldn't feel that at all, you know, when you were talking to him in person. And, you know, to work with legends, I'm very blessed to to have the opportunity to work with legends and then also with talented upcoming legends or uh, players, you know. So that's the second thing to be to say. It's it's uh, I'm still a huge sports fan, whatever. I mean, I met 10 years ago, I met Kobe Bryant. It was my highlight, you know, before he passed away. There was I, I would never ever thought that Kobe Bryant would ever pass like this in this tragic 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 way with his daughter you know that 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 helicopter crash it, our whole world crashed you know the fans all over the globe were just so crashed and um, sad and it's I cannot you if you if you ever meet your 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 inspiration you know your you admire that's why i say the these um football players they're the real influencers i hate this word but the real role models and influencers are definitely football players you know and athletes you know in popular sports um some of them know they're they are aware of it but some of them also aren't and please forgive them you know we were also like playing And we were in certain environments. We didn't understand what was happening. We were just happy that we were playing. I cannot imagine what they must feel when they play, you know, in front of 80,000 people, if they play in, for, in the World Cup. They just, for them, it's just their journey as a football player, you know. But for, for us, they are these huge idols, legends. For me, Messi, you know, it's, it's a guy where I'm like, But this guy is so humble. He's just about his family and his four kids. And he's, he's just, he wants to be the best version of himself. And he's so dedicated, you know. And 
you know, these, you remember the interview where he was crying that he was go about to leave Barcelona, you know, and then he was was about so emotional that he thought he was about to end his career there. You see, you know, what we think of people from the outside is not always what how people feel, you know, about themselves and the inside. This is what's learning. Oh, I'm so glad you mentioned that. And, and thank you with regards to the Sol Campbell, because I, I still remember the image. Again, this is the networking. The first image was Sol Campbell with the purple jersey. And, and I actually messaged AJ and go, look at this. And I knew you were involved in that. And for me, I, I think you've highlighted some really important because even on my podcast over the eight years, I've interviewed some of my role models. They don't know who they are, the athletes, but I have. And I, I want to give a tip from my end is you've got to be yourself. When you're with probably Kobe Bryant or Sol Campbell, you've got to be you. I've got to be Ed Bowers. Julie's got to be Julian. Just if you do work with these people, it's a privilege our end, but please be yourself. I can't emphasize that enough because I think when we think of the football industry in particular, I know people who change their character because of the people you're working with. You shouldn't trust me. It doesn't last long. Uh, and just believe me on that through the people I've interviewed. But what a wonderful conversation. As always, do you like to finish with an inspiration? Carry on. Sorry. Can I just, sure. I just want to drop one thing. Because this this was also a highlight in my basketball career. Exactly what you just described. And then you have people who have a super difficult attitude because they are like the manager of someone, etc. And we had this, I remember this, this one. Um, I have to share this story with the audience. For example, I will drop the name. It was Dirk Nowitzki. You know, we were at the basketball event, the NBA basketball event, and his staff and everybody was like, don't have eye contact with him. Don't talk to him. Don't look at him. We, we got brief, like, like, stay away. Don't talk, you know. So we were, we were like, we didn't have any kind of attentions. We were just a part of this event, you know. So we were like, okay, we, we won't do that. But then it was exactly the opposite. Like Dirk really went to everyone, gave his hand, introduced herself, wanted to chit chat. And this is what I learned, you know, in this industry. I was like, okay, this is one thing about what certain people and their attitudes they have around athletes. And then the athlete and the professional is mostly different, you know? So, uh, it is a lot of pressure. There's a lot of eyes on them. They also have sometimes a bad mood or something is ongoing in their private life. So don't take it so personal. But it's when I worked in basketball and football and I had the chance and I was very privileged to meet so many idols, you know, what I always saw was very respectful, very down to earth, normal like you and I are, you know. So this was super refreshing and um great to see that people stay people 100 percent with their values mm -hmm. and character so thank you so much for sharing that i, I had to share my story because i could connect to what you were saying and I, I hope the listeners are taking notes but as always julie i like to finish with an inspirational question and feel free to recap certain components of what you've said but what three tips you give to the listener right now with regards to pursue a career in the sports industry like what core three tips would they be Okay, the sports industry is huge. First of all, first tip is first first thing is specialize. You know, know exactly where you want to work and also analyze is this more a hobby thing 
is this something I want to do in my free time? Or do I want to pursue this professional? Can I make money with this? Can I, you know, is this enough for my for my living, you know? So this is, I think this is the right, first of all, the right approach. It's some things are just a hobby and some things you can really earn money. So to cover all your expenses and secure your living. So working in the sports industry, it's huge. You can do everything. You can work for a brand. You can work for a club, a federation. You can work more remote. You can work more um, on the pitch, off the pitch with talents, with professionals. So the second thing I would say is um, reflect where you want to be, you know, in the industry, you know, um, you have to have a goal. Like try to, to imagine where you want to be. Like I always had goals. Like I want to work for the federation. I want to work for a club. I had this goal set sports industries to general so first like i said specialize like know where you want to go and then please use you know imagine the position you want to take you know because you're working towards this you will not immediately work for a federation i can't guarantee you this but you need probably a couple jobs to get there so see this as a way to get there and the third thing is you have to invest in yourself this is why I always say never you you cannot you don't think because you graduated sports management that you made it. No, you didn't. There are so many certificates, so many extra studies, so many voluntary stuff you have to, to get as a reference, as an internship. So you always it never stops, guys. I can just tell you this. Like always invest in, in your educational development, in your professional development. So these would be my free advices. Amazing. I'm so glad you mentioned that third one because I know you read a lot of books. I read a lot of books. We exchange different books we read, even from entrepreneurial topics, not just football industry related. You really do need to invest in yourself. Like for me, I when I started like getting my sports degree at Durham, that's like the entry ticket, but you still got to keep, you know, grafting your own self-development journey. And that's so so true, Julie. Out of interest, and add, oh, add, can I can I also add something? Like, I want to be always honest with the audience, guys. Give you give yourself the chance um, to find your your role and your space. You know your position in this industry. Like it all. Trust me, I didn't know. I just knew I wanted to be a part of this. I didn't know where, how, when, but you just have to start somewhere. So sometimes it's internships, sometimes it's voluntary stuff. Sometimes it was a promoter being here, hospitality. I did so many things during my career, you know, on my way. And then I was with the being at the conferences, getting inspired with talks, with the knowledge, learning the process. I knew where I wanted to position myself. And then I worked on my skills. And right now, for example, I mean, I have I had two years ago I had no idea about tech and finance, but I knew I need to more need to know more about this. So I studied investing myself, doing educational stuff, reading books. So trust me, you will and then be it's okay also to change sometimes directions. It doesn't have to be 
I'm I'm an expert since 15 years in marketing and sales. But I'm now I'm turning next week I'm turning 44, you know, and I'm I'm going into more tech and finance, and that's fine in investments. It's fine, you know. I will learn something new. I will get specialized in a, in something where I maybe just know twenty percent of it, you know. But then I have a goal to reach a certain level in a couple of years. I give myself the time, you know. I invest in myself. I we have to be patient with myself. I try to trust myself. The journey. Trust me, you don't get immediately these these big gigs and these big names. It's a it's a journey, but much much more opportunities right now than twenty years ago. I can promise you that. Hundred percent. And on that note, Julie, how can people interact with you? I am comparison to other people. I'm very open, so I'm always open. They can um, add me on LinkedIn. That's the most professional platform. Um, cause there I really try to share, you know, my work. Um, my Instagram is a closed account. I'm sorry, because I also, not everybody has good intentions for use. And I also share more personal stuff, you know, because I'm a human being. So I'm not always about sports and football. I also celebrate with my friends. I travel, I take care of my family. So um, the Instagram account is, I don't need that attention. I get enough in, in, attention when I'm on the, already on the, on the field. So, or off the field. So I just want that people, if they want to connect with me, definitely over LinkedIn. I have an intern who ta- sometimes um, communicates in my behave, behalf. Um, Cause it's, I have sometimes when the season starts, you know, and we have so many conferences, we are currently traveling attending so many games and it's exhausting sometimes it's a lot of fun but it's also long days where you're like 12 hours on a conference next week we're at the istanbul blockchain conference for example we will probably um we also have a panel about um football and tech and in these days you're surrounded by so many people it's free full uh intense days trust me i cannot even respond to my friends so People think then, oh, I texted her over Instagram or, or LinkedIn. I'm, I'm like, sorry, guys. That's why my intern now stepped in, you know, and he's responding people. She's traveling. She's not available, but anything important. Yes. And the other thing is um, that I know people want to learn, but we also have a certain capacity, you know, where we can help other people. So Trust me, it's not, don't think it's only like knowing someone and it's vitamin B. It's not like that. This is exactly what I'm telling people. Try to be a part of a bigger picture. Try to be a part of a, of a club, a federation, a member. You need to be in a conference. You need to be involved with a lot more people to be a part of a project. It's much more effective. Like there's, there won't be someone appointing someone to sit there. That's later in a in a different stage. But if you're at the beginning of a stage, it's much better just to be a part of a team. You learn so much more. Hundred percent. And with regards to the LinkedIn link, that'll be on my website. With regards to this blog and podcast. And by the way, Julie shares great posts on LinkedIn, which I read and interact so that's another reason just to follow her on linkedin as well with her content but julie it's been a joy chatting with you today thank you very much thank you so much ed it was i hope hope helpful for some people and um 
I think these type of podcasts are so important to have. Just like listen to people's stories, be inspired and motivated. We all thought sometimes, oh my God, this is this making sense? Do I have a chance? You know, yes, you will have a chance. You will get your time. Just do what really fulfills you. And trust me, guys, this is a, I don't want to say YOLO, you only live once, but it's, it's, it can be a short journey as well. So just appreciate every day that you have, every chance that you get, every time that you're outside, you can present yourself, just be yourself, learn. Also admit if you make mistakes, it's totally human. I'm just happy to be um, on this podcast with you. To, I really had an honest, open, very transparent talk, you know, about um, myself and my industry. And um, I just hope that we will include more people with the right mindset and the good intentions and we can change the world together. This is what I believe in. So thank you so much for having me. My goodness, what an incredible podcast chat with Julie. And look, I want to firstly thank you, you. Yes, you, the listener, right now listening in. This is well over an hour and 28 minutes. And for you being here, I am so grateful for your time of investing in yourself. I know Julie would agree. And I always want to end these podcasts with purpose, but also show acknowledgement to the listener, meaning you. But most importantly, I really do hope you've enjoyed this podcast chat as much as I have. Like, without a doubt, this was like a podcast sports career masterclass. Not just if you want to pursue in the football industry, but also sports industry. Like Julie said, it's a massive industry and it's all about you specializing in the direction you want to go and making it happen. But that being said, with regards to today's podcast topic, I hope you've enjoyed that conversation about how football clubs can monetize, but most importantly, build a brand with loyalty with their fans. Like these are with regards to how a team or a football club can scale digitally with fans across the world and being very creative and open-minded. Like for me, when I had this conversation with Julie, it just opened up my eyes that we are all entrepreneurs in a way. And it's all about having that entrepreneurial attitude with regards to the football industry and how to create new opportunities in the football industry as well. But the other part I want to touch on, which I found fascinating, like without a doubt, even myself, I'll be re-listening to this, learning from Julie. But I really enjoyed the conversation of it really is a privilege working with football legends, sporting legends or working with athletes. It really is that internal aspect from a motivational standpoint I enjoy and I want to bring that up because I want you just to realize it is a privilege but it's a such a great way of having that motivation when working in the sports or football industry because trust me Julie would agree on this you work long hours and you need to have the reasons of why you work or why you do what you do and without a doubt I love working on projects that motivate me inspire me and have a purpose behind so look, I really do hope you've enjoyed this podcast chat. I would be so grateful. Yes, I would be so grateful if you wouldn't mind leaving a honest review related to your experience listening to this. Like you've listened to over one hour and 30 minutes. It means there's something resonated with you, which you can apply to your sports career development. So wherever you listen to this podcast, please make a review. It makes such a difference to the show and getting more awesome guests like Julie but most importantly, apply one takeaway from this podcast and apply it to your sports career development now 
and make it happen. Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Julie said, know what you want to specialise in. Imagine the role you want to do and work towards this. And then most importantly, always invest in yourself. Thank you.